All right, well, good morning, ZPC, and we are getting closer and closer, of course, to, to Christmas. Can you, can you believe it? What is it, like six, seven weeks away? You guys excited about that? Great, yeah, me too. So, um, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. But before we get there, uh, we've got another six weeks, and uh, I wanted to let you all know, I was trying to figure out, should I tell you about this or not? And, um, uh, but next week's going to be kind of a special week. We're going to have, a, it's going to be kind of an intergenerational service. And, and so uh, we're all going to be in here um, uh, for the first service and for the second service. But we want you to know the kids are going to be in here and uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fantastic. And there's going to be a certain amount of noise that will be here the whole service. And that's going to be great. Amen. Yeah, it was tepid, but okay. All right, I get that. I, now, the reason, of course, I was, I was a little leery about telling you all is I know that there are some people, right, who would prefer the kids to stay where they're supposed to be and the adults to be in here. But we're all going to be in here together. And we, we think it's important uh, for us to do that from time to time and to really have all of us kind of participating in the service. And, of course, as we kind of go through the Jesus Storybook Bible, that's been a, a kind of a pivotal part of this is, is being able to learn together uh, and being able to share together because all the children that are here are our children, right? All the children that are here are our covenant children. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, that's much better. Okay, still got some work to do on that one. Okay, so here we have the story of the kind of the coronation of, of David. And so it comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. So I invite you to, uh, to hear these words. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made, seven, or Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we do pray that this morning that you would open our eyes. Help us, as Lisa said this morning, not just to look, but to see. To see as you see. To understand as you understand. We pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So I continue to be pretty convinced that when you are growing up, one of the greatest things in all of the world is to get your sibling in trouble. Right? I mean, that was always such a great time. I always loved getting my sister in trouble. In fact, even to this day, I'm going to go, I'm going to see her for Thanksgiving. Even to this day, I am so excited about seeing her and talking about some of the times when I have gotten her in trouble. And she gets, she still gets so angry about it, right? She gets mad at mom and dad. And, uh, but I think it's great. I mean, it's just, there's just a rush uh, when you're a kid, especially I think if you're a younger brother, uh, to be able to, uh, to get your older sister or sibling in trouble. And I have to say that there is a certain amount of pride that I have in seeing that my offspring are, are doing the same thing. Uh, and, and so, I mean, it bothers me a little bit as a parent, but there's a part of me that just says, at a girl, right? And so I thought about that because this week as we were, we were kind of driving in the van and uh, Megan and I were up front, of course, and, and Shaughnessy and Adelie and Winnie, she's, she's still in her own little world, but, but Adelie and Shaughnessy are in the back and we're driving and, and all of a sudden I hear very clearly Shaughnessy saying, Adelie, stop hitting me. And, 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 and I thought, wow, that sounds really clear. It's as if she's not even actually talking to her sister. And I, I look in the rearview mirror and sure enough, she's not looking at her sister. She's not upset. She's just staring right up towards us and saying, Adelie, stop hitting me. It's clear she had no care about her sister. All she wanted to know was that we were going to hear her and get her in trouble. And again, later on in that same uh, van ride, there was a book that she said was being taken from her, right? And, and she's just staring up at us. Adelie, stop taking my book. And all she cares is that we overhear her and get her younger sister in trouble. And of course, it worked, right? I mean, it was perfect. And so I was thinking about that today because I was thinking about the fact that that this is a Sunday, as as, as has already been mentioned, when we are going to ordain and install, uh, though technically they won't come into uh, leadership until January, uh, our elders and our deacons. And and so this week, as I was looking at this scripture passage, uh, I was thinking primarily of the leaders of our church, the leaders here at ZPC, the new ones and the ones that are uh, the, the savvy grizzled veterans, if you will. And 
as I was thinking about that, I, I realized, of course, as the week went on, that there was a part of me that my hope is that you all, uh, all of us, will actually overhear, if you will, what I am going to say to our elders and deacons. Because I think it's important that you be a part of this conversation. And it seems to me that this particular story has something to say to all of us and especially to our leaders. And so uh, this kind of we kind of hop into the story here in 1 Samuel. The the storybook alludes to it a little bit more which is that Saul as you probably already know had been made king, but he's not doing all that well. He's struggling with really following God. He keeps kind of messing up and finally God realizes that Samuel or Saul is just not going to work out. That he is not a good leader anymore for his people. And so he, he sees that he needs to call somebody new. And the new person, of course, is, is David. And so, and so here, all of a sudden, in 1 Samuel, what happens in the 16th chapter, it begins by God saying to Samuel, How long will you grieve? Which is just another way, of course, of saying... How long are you going to be stuck in the past? I have already moved on. But of course, it's hard for Samuel. Because Samuel, you'll recall, he was there at the very beginning, right? He was the one who was there with Saul and who coronated Saul as king. And, and, and he was the one who saw Saul kind of grow up into this role of being the king. He, he wept with Saul. He, he laughed, I'm sure, at times with Saul. Uh, but he was emotionally and even spiritually attached to Saul. And so he was finding it difficult to let go of Saul and to think, well, surely maybe this isn't the wrong, the right time. Maybe Saul will change his ways. Maybe we can just keep trying new things with Saul and eventually everything will change. And God says to him, how long will you keep grieving? I have already moved on. And I think that that's an interesting question for elders and deacons because the reality is that for most churches, churches like things the way they have always been. Right? We are conservative by our very nature, churches are. They, uh, this is perfect just the way it's always been. And churches find it difficult to get past the past. But there are times when we simply have to move on. There are programs that oftentimes are going on that simply may not be effective or helpful anymore. But people have, and this is the part that I'd like everyone to overhear, people have an attachment, sometimes an emotional attachment or a spiritual attachment. And they say, well, this meant something to me 28 years ago, and I'd rather just hold on to it. And they find it difficult to let go. It may be a particular person or a group of people. It may be somebody that you really liked and that was just the right person and they did it great and, and maybe nobody has come in to step up to that role when that person's left or maybe the person who's there, is, you just don't really like that much. And so, and so you keep thinking, what about that person or what about that program? Or it 
could even just be a memory of what used to be. A memory of, remember how the parking lot, oh, remember how full it was. Or, or remember how we used to have a police car out there that would direct us, right? Or, 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 or remember this or remember that, right? Every church, no matter what church you're a part of, every church has something in the past that they hold on to that has an emotional or spiritual attachment and makes it remarkably difficult to move on. And I wonder how often, and this is to the leaders, does God sit there and say, how long will you grieve that program or that person or that memory. I've already moved on. Things over here are happening. How long will you grieve? Now, let me say one thing real quick. I'm not talking about Great Banquet, okay? (laughs) All right, I've heard a little bit about that. I am not, we are not getting rid of Great Banquet, okay? I don't want to hear something out here. I knew it. I knew he didn't like it. No, I'm not talking about Great Banquet, okay? But all churches wrestle with that and leaders struggle. And it's understandable why. Do you want to know why? Because leaders don't like having to deal with angry people. And one of the things that Samuel does is he moves on, right? When Samuel says, okay, well, uh, you might want me to move forward. But guess what's going to happen when I move forward? Saul is going to kill me. And of course, that's a real possibility. I mean, Saul tries to kill David, right? And you can imagine that if, if he thinks that, well, Samuel's trying to bring in a new leader, that he might not like that. And the reality is always when you are trying something new, when you say we are going to move forward, when you're developing something different, when you say we have moved on, that people are going to get upset, Now look, I don't think that anyone here is going to try to kill you for trying something new. Right? (laughs) Not physically, at least, right? But one of the things that we have to kind of wrestle with is simply the reality as leaders, people, elders, deacons, as you continue to lead and as you try new things, as you're kind of, you know, saying, well, why don't we try this or why don't we do this? That, that inevitably there are going to be people who don't like it. There are going to be people who are going to be naysayers. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that's just, that's just the case. And my encouragement for us as leaders, for those of us who are leading, is do not allow that to stop us from doing something new or different. Now, all that said, I also want to tell you all that in this past, it's been almost a year now that I've been here, I have been quite impressed by you and by your willingness and eagerness even to try new things. I mean, one of the things, of course, that I'm most impressed about is, is the Jeremiah house. Now, it's, it's not kicked off just yet, but, 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 but a month and a half ago now, when we brought up Jeremiah house, remember this, this is the, the house. 
over here, thank you, uh, over here uh, uh, that the church owns and that we're going to kind of open up to, to, to people who are recovering addicts. And, and when the Mission Commission and when the elders talked about this, right, we've mentioned this. Again, we, we were a little bit nervous. By we, I mean I was a little bit nervous about how this would go over. But I have been overwhelmed by how many the folks have stepped up to say, hey, can we be a mentor? Uh, uh, by people who have said, hey, we would be willing to donate a car. By people who are willing to go over and try to spruce up uh, uh, the lodge a little bit. I mean, there has been an overflow of excitement about trying something new or different. And I want to applaud you for that. And I want you who are elders and deacons to realize that that is, uh, that they are saying, keep going, keep going until you make more people angry. Okay. Keep pushing it. Now we listen to people when they are upset. Absolutely. But if we feel like this is the way that the Spirit is leading, then keep going. And so Samuel does that. Samuel says, okay, and so he keeps going. And he says, you know what? He's probably not real happy about it, but he keeps pressing forward. And he gets to Bethlehem, okay? And, and so he gets there and, and he finds Jesse and his sons. There are seven sons there. And he, he comes up and there is Eliab. And Eliab is a looker. And he's not just a looker. He's six foot five, okay? I just made that up. But he's six foot five. He's tall, right? And so immediately he's almost giddy, right? He's like, okay, maybe we can move on. Look at this guy. He's a looker. He's tall. Anyone would want to follow him, right? And, and, and God says, no. And as a quick aside, isn't it interesting that do you know who else was tall? Saul. And so even as you move forward, there will always be a tendency to want to go back. You would think that Samuel would have learned, well, I guess just because they're tall and maybe good looking doesn't mean they're going to be great. But there's always a part of us that loves what we know more than what we don't. And so he, he says, no, this is not him. So he goes on, okay, well, Abinadab, no, okay, well, Shama, no, okay. And he goes through, and this is kind of a fascinating story. Think about this. There are seven sons. So if you were just writing this story, and you remember, we've talked about the number seven and how that means completion or fulfillment, right? And so here is Samuel. He's decided finally to move on, to get past the past. He has the courage to move forward. He's there. He has seven sons. The first one is no. As he continues to go on, Samuel, being very smart, is probably thinking, I know who God is going to finally say yes to. It's going to be number seven. And so he gets to number seven, who remains nameless. He says, no. What? I mean, that's not how it's supposed to work. I mean, think about this. Think about this. If you're a leader, if you're a congregation, that you say, okay, we've moved past the past. We're doing well. We're getting all of our ducks in a row. We have the perfect program. We think this is going to be great. We think this is exactly what God wants. Here's number seven. This is fulfillment. This is the way it's supposed to go. And nothing. How awkward and confusing must that have been? To think that you have done everything and yet it does 
not work out. Do you hear some of that confusion and awkwardness in Jesse, or excuse me, in Samuel? What does he say? Is, yeah, is this it? Are there, are there any more? He doesn't know what's going on. And so then, of course, you know, Jesse says, well, there's one more, but he's, you know, he's young. He's out there with the sheep. And, 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 so, and so all of a sudden, then Samuel says, well, you know, just go. We're, we're not even going to sit down until that one comes. And have you ever thought about that space while they are waiting for David? How awkward of a time would that have been? Because there you are, he's sitting there with seven other guys. He doesn't really know anything about them. They all know that they're not the right one. And they're all sitting there and they have to wait, right? And this is not, you know, you're not sending a text out to David saying, hey, get back in here. You've got to find someone who can run all the way out there, find David, have him come all the way back. What, what do you talk about? Eliab, pretty tall. You guys got a pretty good basketball team here or? So Abinadab, is that French? Where, where does that come from exactly? I mean, what's the small talk? What do, you, what do you do in this kind of awkward stage as you don't know how to move forward in this time of waiting? This time of developing patience. And I think that is incredibly significant for those of us who lead this Church, that there will be times when we come up with something that we think is, is, is absolutely from God, and then we roll something out, or we do something here or here, and there are no more immediate fruit. And what is our temptation going to be? To go someplace else. Don't you think Samuel wanted to simply leave and go find another house? There will always be a temptation when we don't see immediate attractive fruit to say, well, we just got to go someplace else. We got to try something else new. We've got to move on. Let's roll out something else. Maybe that will work. Let's just, let's go over here. If that doesn't work, let's come over here. And there are times when you are exactly where you are supposed to be and there will be awkward confusion and silence and waiting and you will have to develop patience and waiting upon God. You may find that in your own life as well. But it's certainly true in the life of the church. And we will have to develop an ability to wait. And I think a part of that reason is because exactly what God has told Samuel, which is that you look at what is attractive on the outside, but I am looking at the heart. And I want you to know that most things that change and transform the heart take a very long time. It does not happen quickly, it is not exciting, it is not sexy, it is not overly attractive at first. It takes time. And there will always be the temptation for the leaders of the church to move on quickly if they aren't seeing quick fruit. Because that's what we do as a people. Think about how, as we look at churches, as you look at a particular church, we like to make assessments quickly. As you look at churches, let's just say churches in our area or churches wherever you're from, whatever it is, as we look at churches, we like to make quick 
assessments, measurements, which are almost always based on size. How tall is Eliab? How tall is the steeple on their building? How many people are coming through? It's just human nature. Almost all of us do it. The churches that are large, we think subconsciously or even consciously, these are the churches that are clearly doing something right and that God is blessing. The churches that are small, well, those are the churches that aren't quite right. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that all big churches are bad or all, uh, they're all Eliab's by no stretch. I know big churches that are great at transforming the heart and small churches who have no heart, it seems, right? But, but it does mean that we oftentimes, that leaders oftentimes will assess things based on size. And one of the things that we do, one of the things that we have to do as leaders is we have to make sure that we are not basing what we do or what we don't do on how big or how attractive it is going to be. The foremost question has to be, will this program, will this person help to transform our hearts? It must begin there. Otherwise, we are in grave danger. It's a part of the reason why home groups, the small group ministry that we're rolling out even more so in January is so significant. It would be much more attractive for us to simply do something more exciting here, right? I could learn how to juggle. Uh, We could do something, I don't know, something in here that would simply be more attractive. We could certainly do that. And yet it seems to me what is most helpful for our own hearts and for changing who we are is to be able to be in a smaller group where you wrestle with scripture and you wrestle with being accountable to one another. Now I know that's not attractive for a lot of people, especially for men, this can be hard. I mean, I was thinking as I was thinking about the sermon of saying, you know, we need to be, we need to develop people with whom we can be in relationship. And I thought, you know, how many guys are going around and say, hey, can, can I be in a relationship with you, Jim? Is that good? Is that, you know, it, it doesn't, it feels weird. It feels awkward. And yet it's the reality is that it is so much easier for us just to come in here for an hour, remain anonymous and go home. But the heart will not change. If all you do is come in here for an hour and leave, we have to wrestle and come into relationship with each other. And of course, it's the same for service as well. One of the things that we have to continue to do, like we did in Kentucky, is say, what are the ways that we can serve? Because nothing transforms the heart Quite as much, quite frankly, as serving and giving. There is something about that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, take care of the sick. But that's not all that attractive, right? I mean, think about the ways that churches advertise, right? You might have a billboard with the pastor's, you know, the good-looking pastor's face up there or something, right? Which is a question. How come nobody suggested that, right? (laughs) Right? Or it's a website where, you, you know, the front page is about, hey, we've got these great programs for your kids, or here's how to make a better, you know, seven steps to a better life for you. There are few front pages of websites or billboards that say, hey, come be a part of our hospital team where you'll get to go and be with somebody you don't really know and, and be in a situation you really don't want to be in and talk about things like death and sickness that you'd rather not talk about. 
Come one, come all. But I promise you that being a part of the hospital team is going to do more to help transform your heart than a good-looking pastor or a program for your kid or seven steps to make a better you. And even though it will take time and patience and waiting, we are called to see as God sees. And leaders, you are called to make sure that as you are making decisions, the question is not how many people will this attract, it is how much will this help to transform the hearts of our people. Now that doesn't mean that we need to be ugly. Okay, there's no award for, for, for being the church where everyone still wears sweatpants and has, you know, bedhead and doesn't brush their teeth. Right? I mean that in a spiritual sense. I mean, it's interesting, is it not, that, that right after God says, hey, I don't look at the, you know, I, I, I don't look at what the outside, I look at the heart, right? Then all of a sudden, you know, as they're telling their story, they're like, oh, but David, mm, he was handsome, right? I am fully convinced that a church that has said we can move past the past that says we will move into the future no matter the danger or the risk, who says we are willing to wait upon the Lord and that we are going to be most concerned about transforming the heart. I believe firmly that that church over time, though it will be slow, will grow in its attractiveness to those outside. That there is an attraction, but it will not be an attraction to ZPC. It will be an attraction to the Christ that has changed our hearts by his grace and his love. Leaders, elders, and deacons in this church, don't be afraid to lead us. Don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to wait and be patient upon the Lord. Don't be afraid to be more worried about whether or not our hearts are being transformed than whether or not we are looking better to those outside of these walls. Congregation, pray for your leaders. This is not an easy time to lead. And we need your prayers, your support, your challenge, and your love. Do we have that? Well, I'm going to give you a chance to answer even more emphatically here in a couple minutes. <laughs> Sisters and brothers who are joining us today, who are becoming leaders, who are being ordained and installed, I'd like for you to come up now so that we can do that. Scott, I'd like for you to come up as well. Well, today we're welcoming uh, these four, uh, Lane Kessel here on the end, Scott Aiken, Carolyn Maddox, Todd Tharp, these three becoming deacons, Todd becoming an elder. Then we have some others at 1030 who are being ordained and installed, and you're going to look up front. Uh, and these are some great family pictures as well for them. Hilary Bustamante, Cheryl Dixon there, Karen Jerishan, Jill McRoberts in the middle there, Jennifer Rebhorn. Dave Stricker, also a deacon, and then elders, Dave Gall, Ed Memon, 
and Lisa Remley. So they'll be being ordained and installed at 1030. So we're very excited about all of them becoming officers today. Great. And we have nine questions for you, okay? You all know these questions. We've talked about them, right? Just nod your head one way or the other. Great. Okay, <laughs> here they are. Sisters and brothers, do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior? Acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? And do you sincerely receive and adopt the tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable exposition of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the, God, the people of God? Do you? And will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? And will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? Okay. Scott's going to ask the others, so don't look okay. at me anymore. There you go. Good. Here's the other questions. Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to love your neighbors, and to work for the reconciliation of the world? Will you? Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Do you? Will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you? Todd, for you as elder. Will you be a faithful elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, their nurture, and service? Will you share in the government and discipline, serving in governing bodies of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And for you three as deacons, will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? That's great. And just like they're standing to answer these questions, it would be weird, would it not, if they came up here and sat down and they answered the questions? Yeah? So I'm going to ask you then to stand up. Because I have two questions for you, okay? Here they are. Do we, the members of the church, accept these men and women as elders and deacons chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? Do we? And do we agree to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ who alone is head of the church? Do we? And with that, I'm going to ask those of you who are inactive elders or active elders, if you would please come forward and we're going to say a prayer. The rest of you, feel free to sit down, but the others of you, I'd, I'd encourage you to please come up. You can come up wherever you want. Just come around. And... Some of these people coming up look relieved that it's not them up here right now. All right. Let's pray. God, we give you praise for this opportunity that we have to gather around these sisters and brothers. 
these who have heard your call and have answered it. God, we thank you for their commitment, their commitment to you, to follow you, Lord, as the question said, in their own lives, in their own homes, in their own neighborhoods. Their commitment to this church, Lord, to lead it with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Their commitment to one another, Lord, to care and love for one another, to listen to one another, to have grace to one another. And so we pray, God, that you would continue to bestow upon them wisdom. Bestow upon them your heart. Help them, O oh God, to be committed to that which will change who we are at CPC more and more into you have, into whom you have called us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.